Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms, through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Good evening. Welcome to Circle Craft Study with Selena Fox. This is Selena Fox, and tonight we continue our Ways of Ritual series with a look at designing ritual. Let's begin with an honoring of the sacred circle and the elements which can be used as part of a ritual design. Powers of the North, powers of Earth, we greet you, we honor you, we welcome you into this circle. Powers of East, powers of Air, we greet you, we honor you, we welcome you into this circle. Powers of South, Powers of fire, we greet you, we honor you, we welcome you into this circle. Powers of west, powers of water, we greet you, we honor you, we welcome you into this circle. Powers of cosmos, of sky above, we greet you, we honor you, we welcome you into this circle. Powers of land, powers of planet, we greet you, we honor you, we welcome you into this circle. Powers of center, powers of spirit, we greet you, we honor you, we welcome you into our lives and into this circle. Guide us, be with us, bless us. Teach us, so mote it be. Ritual can be planned. Ritual can be spontaneous. Tonight we're going to take a look at planned ritual, designing ritual, how to create a ritual, how to structure a ritual, some considerations to take into account as you start formulating plans in creating a ritual. Let's begin with the five stages of ritual. The first is that of preparation. That's the planning part, the design part, the gathering together of things of people, of dynamics that are needed for the ritual. It is a time of preparing the place where the ritual will be held, a time of preparing oneself, and if others are going to be part of the ritual, a time for preparing them as well. The second phase of a ritual is that which is the ritual beginning. How does the ritual start? With an invocation? With the sound of a drum? With a statement? We are beginning now with the ringing of a bell. Something is done to signal the start of the ritual. In this beginning ritual part, the focus is on directing intention and attention to the core of the ritual, the purpose of the ritual. During this beginning ritual phase, there may be 
invocations, the creation of sacred space or the honoring of sacred space already in place, invocations for one or more forms of the divine that are central to the ritual. There may be instructions for personal ritual, instructions that one reviews within one's own mind, for group ritual, instructions that are shared with those who are taking part. Attunement to purpose, attunement to the divine, attunement to the place and the space and all that is gathered for the ritual. During this beginning phase, the ritual starts taking form. When there are multiple people taking part, they start joining together physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, socially, behaviorally. There is connection. Connection with other participants, connection with the sacred. Connections with the purpose, connections with the place. All these connections are really important. The energy of the ritual builds. Now we're at the heart of the ritual, the core of the ritual, the central part of the ritual. There may be a particular action, chant, song, prayer, meditative focus, or like a wonderful feast, there may be a series of courses as the heart of ritual unfolds. Each component part of the heart of the ritual should flow naturally into the next part. Having rhythm, sound, quiet, action, stillness, volume that's loud, volume that's soft, having some variation with the component parts of the heart of the ritual can retain interest and build energy and momentum. Typically, there is some culminating dynamic in the heart of the ritual. And once that has occurred, there may be some immediate follow-up action and then the ritual moves into its fourth phase that of closing during the closing the emphasis is on letting the dynamic of the ritual move into its next phase That could be integrating it for a personal transformation ritual. It could be moving into the celebratory aspect for a wedding where the vows have just been said and the pronouncement of marriage has just happened. It is a time for integrating what has happened, and preparing to bring closure to the ritual experience. There may be a sharing of some kind of offering, a libation of a beverage placed on an altar, shared amongst those who are gathered. There may be Words spoken of thanksgiving 
typically the divine forces that have been called at the beginning of the ritual are honored and thanked. There's also words, music, ideation that moves the ritual to completion. And then there is a moment that the ritual ends, just as there is something that starts the ritual. The fifth phase of ritual is the after rite. This not only involves gathering up items that were used for the ritual and putting them away if that is needed, clearing the space if there's some activity happening afterwards, departing the place. But this also includes reflecting on the ritual, reflecting on the learnings of the ritual, recording the ritual in some way. This could be through journaling, making some notes in a spiritual workbook or diary, it is having the ritual now done continue to be with you, but in a way that's instructional and that's transformational. That that ritual now is part of your life experience and is doing its work. Each of the five parts of ritual are important in their own right. And it's important to make time for each of those five parts, no matter how long the ritual itself is. And each of those five parts are good considerations in planning a ritual, be it a life passage rite connected with a pregnancy or birth, a coming of age into young adulthood, a marriage, a coming of age into seniorhood, a death ceremony, an anniversary ceremony, a healing ceremony, some life transition ceremonies such as a move or a graduation or a retirement. It's important to do planning as well as at the other end of the ritual to actually do some post-ritual process that will aid your work in having ritual be part of your spiritual life and it will be good for the ritual itself and others who are part of that. What I'd like to do now is share some things to consider as you set to plan a ritual. Now, you can create a ritual brand new, or you can take an existing ritual, one that you've created in the past or one that you have encountered, and you can adapt the ritual. If you have a standard ritual format that you use for personal daily practice, you may want to keep it fresh by changing some of the internal parts at the heart of the ritual. You may have different prayers that you do every day. If this is a daily ritual that you do, there may be different songs that you can incorporate into your ceremony, different movements, and you may do your ceremony in different places to keep the ceremony fresh. So let's take a look at some of the dynamics of planning a ritual. What is its purpose? Think about the central focus 
And what are your goals for this ritual? Is the main work of the ritual that of honoring some aspect of the divine, a worship ritual? Is it a ritual of thanksgiving? Is it a celebratory ritual? Is it a ritual of healing? Is it a ritual to celebrate a cycle of the moon or of the sun and seasons? Is it a ritual for guidance? If your ritual has more than one focal point, then give each of the focal points a name and decide how to work the multiple foci together. What would you like to see happen by doing the ritual? If others are taking part, what would you like them to experience or have happen as a result of the ritual? Make time sufficiently before you do the ritual to reflect on purpose. And from that purpose, other forms of planning can unfold. Think of the type of ritual, its location, and its context. Is this a ritual that's within a conference, or is it part of a series of rituals, or is it its own thing? What's the style that you want to have for your ritual? Do you want it casual, informal? Do you want a very formal scripted type of ritual? You want some kind of combination where there's formality, but there are parts that are unscripted. Something else to think about is how complex you want the ritual to be. Some of the most powerful rituals are simple, but a powerful ritual can be complex and long with component parts with the right kind of planning. If there are going to be multiple people involved in doing the ritual, consider who may be helping to anchor the ritual, helping to facilitate the ritual or have parts. Come up with a strategy to inform those who are part of the ritual about its structure and expectation and those who are involved in creating the ritual together and that have leadership parts to come up with a good way that that can work together. What are the dynamics of the ritual? Is this going to be an interactive ritual? Or is it a performance where certain people perform the ritual and others are present by observation? Or is it part interactive and part structured performance? When you consider sound and its place in ritual, select sound and sounds that actually work with what you want to accomplish in terms of connecting people together, moving energy to a culmination point, having reflection. Some find it helpful to do some kind of chant together 
to have people start attuning to each other. Some do it with silence. Some do it with both. Varying the sound and having the sound variation parallel the other dynamics of the ritual can be really powerful. Starting out more quietly and then if energy and excitement is being built to raise energy such as in a healing, then the sound increases in volume and then it peaks and then there's a softer sound as those shift from that into the ending part of the ceremony. How are you going to communicate during the ritual? Communicate with sacred forces. Communicate with those who are gathered. Some rituals are done totally non-verbally with gesture. Some rituals are done by singing the entire time or speaking. Most rituals have a combination of nonverbal communication and verbal. Another consideration is how long of a ritual. A really short ritual may only last a few minutes or it may be under an hour. A medium ritual is usually somewhere from 45 minutes to an hour, hour and 15, hour and a half. A longer ritual goes over an hour and a half, may go several hours. And a really long ritual may go all night and all day and maybe even will last for several days and nights. The timing of when a ritual is done can really affect its dynamics. Some people like to greet the dawn. Some greet the night. Some do rituals in the morning or at midday. Some in the afternoon. Some in the depths of night. Some rituals can be done at any time. Other rituals, such as honoring the rising of the sun or the rising of the moon, obviously needs to coincide with that. And as you look at timing with seasons, and you also look at the climate considerations. Are you going to be doing the ritual indoors or outdoors? If it is a seasonal ritual, what are some symbols from the area where you're doing the ritual that can be incorporated on the altar and in the ritual itself to help build attunement with the seasonal changes? One also has to take into planning what climate factors there may be. When I do wedding planning, most who consult with me and ask me to have them do their wedding and plan their wedding with them want an outdoor ceremony. And we do our planning for an outdoor ceremony. But one of the things that I always include in my planning sessions is the backup plan in case the weather situation is such that it just isn't going to work out in the open sky. So finding some contingencies having to do with climate is another important consideration as you do your ritual design. How big a group of people will be present if this is a ritual that involves others a small group would be a dozen people or less. Medium size, generally somewhere 
um, 13, 14 to up to 30 people or so. A much larger group would be in the 30 to 75 person category. And then rituals can get progressively bigger. And as you go over 100 people, as you go over 500 people, there are considerations having to do with space, movement, sound, being able to communicate. So the more people that you have participating in a ceremony, the more you have to build in time for people to move and to gather and build in additional aids for being heard and being seen if you are a facilitator of a large, very large group ceremony. So the size of the group can really affect what kinds of things that you do. And some things that work really well with a small group, such as each person says their name and kindles a candle to build connection amongst those taking part in a ceremony. This is something we typically do at our full moon circles every month that I facilitate. Well, in a group of several hundred, that would just take too long. But there could be a mass candle lighting by having multiple people at the same time all kindle candles and all call out their name or to join their voices in singing a particular note or chord of notes. Those are techniques that work with a much larger group of people that can have the same effect in terms of connecting people with each other. In addition to looking at how many people are present, to really look at the type of group setting for group rituals. Is this a group that meets regularly? Is it a a tightly knit group, um, a family, a household that has much contact? Or is it a group that only gets together occasionally or perhaps it's the first time this group has converged? It might be a funeral, for example, and it's a convergence of all the support networks of the one who has crossed over. How homogeneous or heterogeneous a group is can impact what kinds of ritual actions happen as a ritual is planned. And the more a group has some experience with certain styles of ritual, the more that style or styles can be used to connect people together. When you have a multicultural, uh, multilingual, interreligious, international um, a group with much diversity, then it's important to have some common denominators that can connect people, but to also have some expressions that celebrates the diversity, that acknowledges the diversity. Looking at the spiritual orientation of the participants, do they have a similar path or are they from many different paths? You may wish to use some language for the sacred that will be more universalistic when you have a very diverse group or if you're going to be using specific sacred names that you also include something more universal such as source or um, the great spirit or divine or great mother or great father, things that people who may be new to that form can identify with and join with. What's the ritual background of the participants in the ritual that you're planning? If some people are brand new to ritual, then it's helpful to include some way 
to help people understand what's going to be happening. That may be done in phase one as people are preparing for the ritual. could be in the form of some written instructions set ahead of time or a briefing prior to the start of the ceremony um, as people introduce each other and talk about the ceremony itself. There are different ways to accomplish that. If people have widely varying ritual backgrounds. Something else to consider if there are going to be multiple people taking part in the ritual, what are the roles and are you going to assign those parts ahead of time? In formally scripted ceremonies, that's typically done. In more um, improv ceremonies, roles may be exchanged and taken as one feels moved to do so. Are there going to be some standard form of dress for everyone in the ceremony? Casual or formal, wearing flowing robes of a particular color, body paint, headdresses, um, pick your own personal style. There's a lot to be said about what kinds of dress that people may have as part of a ritual experience. And sometimes having that communicated ahead of time will allow people to prepare and feel more comfortable, especially if it's a group that's gathering for a rite of passage. In addition, what kinds of ceremonial tools are you going to be using in the ceremony itself? What kind of altar? Where is it going to be? What kind of altar tools? Are there going to be things you want people to bring to the ritual that's being planned so that whoever's facilitating doesn't need to provide all for everyone. If people are going to be doing libations and toasts, they may want to bring their own cup or a drinking horn or some other vessel. And if people are going to be honoring their ancestors, they may each bring a memento, an heirloom, a photograph of an ancestor they're going to be honoring as part of the ceremony. So being able to think through what are the tools and what those who are coming need to bring and what those who are anchoring the ceremony and facilitating it need to bring. Then thinking about music, what is going to be the role of music, if any? Will there be singing Will it be the playing of rhythm instruments, of particular forms of musical instruments? Will some people be performing a song? Will there be a choir? Will people be chanting, whispering, speaking, call and response chants? And looking at music is something that can really enhance a ceremony. And it's good to consider that before starting work with it and to try out whatever chant or song there may be for others to join in to really see how easy it is for people who are new to it to join in. Then looking at movement, is it structured? Is there gesture? Is there procession? Are there people who are going to be the main people doing the movement? Or does everyone move? And will there be meditation? Moments of silence. Meditation that's a guided journey. Meditation that's a reflection. Consider the use of meditative dynamics within the ritual structure. Will there be some form of food 
and beverage as part of the ceremony? And if so, how will that work? If something is going to be passed around a group, is the group small enough for that to make the journey in a short period of time? Or if it's a sharing of bread and there may be several hundred people, what are some ways of being able to break that bread, have multiple people carrying the bread out and having it shared with everyone? And likewise with beverages, and what are the dietary preferences and needs for those who are taking part in ceremonies when considering not only food that would be consumed by participants but beverages. If there's an alcohol beverage, then what arrangements can be made for people that aren't able to have that um, and what arrangements are there going to be made for whatever the beverage is if there's a common cup and someone may not want the common cup. So those are some additional things to think about with group ceremony. And then we need to look at the documenting piece. If you are doing a ceremony yourself, you're going to write your ceremony down and you're going to record it in some way. If a number of people are involved, what are the protocols and the request regarding documentation? I recently did a memorial and the family wanted the whole memorial documented with a video so that those people from another part of the country who are not physically able to be present at that particular memorial could see that memorial and hear the things said about the deceased um, at a different setting. And so that was all put into the preparation work prior to even starting the ceremony itself. And that's an example of how documenting a ceremony can really help other people join that may not even physically be present. But there are also some ceremonies where having any camera or audio or video equipment is taboo. So be sure to think about the kinds of documenting options there are and whether documenting should be happening or not. And if it is happening, a good way to communicate with others about it. And finally, looking at the transcript for the ritual. Do you do an outline? Do you do a long script? If so, then who's the keeper of that? Do people get it ahead of time? Are, is there an actual program with some chants and some readings woven into that that those who are taking part will do? So really looking at once a ritual is planned, how it's going to be set down and how those who are taking part will be able to access that, understand that, and flow with that. So let's take a few moments now as we prepare to shift into um, the final part of our evening and reflect on ritual and designing ritual. I've talked about five phases of ritual and I've also shared some considerations for ritual as you do design. What questions do you have about creating ritual in general or in particular? Or what experience have you had with ritual design 
that you'd like to share with others. What do you take from tonight's talk about ritual design that you may start working with in your own personal ritual practice? So we shift into our community forum part of our evening. If you want to call in with questions or perspectives, our number is 347-308-8222. Or perhaps you're in live chat and have already been sharing some perspectives, some questions. I want to welcome into the show David and Jeanette Ewing, who assist me every week. Good evening. Hello. Hi. Well, here we are. Um, Dave here. Hi. I'm wondering if there's been any um, questions or comments in the chat. There's been a little bit of discussion in the chat. Um, there was a um, some comments about... Uh, using cups, you know, like the cakes and ale part of the ritual and the sharing of beverages and, and uh, foods and beverages and, and whether to go alcohol-free or not, I guess, you know, kind of general general consensus seems to be depending on the group. You know, if it's a small group where, you, where everybody knows each other and you're pretty well close-knit, you know, some, some mead or something alcohol-related or wine or something maybe. But if it's like we've usually done things that are open rituals where we really don't know who's going to be in, who's going to be attending. So to be sensitive to that, we usually go alcohol-free with our, with our rituals just so we don't have any complications with somebody, you know, underage or in recovery or, or, or things like that that you never know, you know, who's who might have it. There might be an issue of some sort. Yeah, that seems um, to be the, the easier way to handle that. And okay. then the, the other thing also that we've seen people do is, and of course, this is depending on the time of the year. Another logistics of the size of the group is whether or not you share one cup yeah. and take the risk of, you know, passing germs, passing cooties around, or uh, whether <laughs> you do the separate little Dixie cup thing. And we've been in rituals where people have done both. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, and I think it's good to recognize that there are options and choices. And and I know one year for our Green Spirit main ritual and green spirit is the equivalent of lamas or lugnasa and traditionally that festival celebrates grain well within our community and within our community ritual that year there were quite a few people that had um, some wheat allergies so what we ended up doing and this is several hundred people gathered around the fire was have not only multiple beverages, both a mead as well as a non-alcoholic beverage that were in different cups. So we had the cup bearers going around and you would indicate which that you wanted. But we also had two types of food. We had bread with wheat bread that had been um, baked for the occasion, but we also had corn. We had popcorn for those that really couldn't deal with the wheat. Now, I know there's some corn allergies, but <laughs> chances are uh, you can, by having more than one choice in large groups, you can accommodate everyone, and, and the actual dynamic of the uh, communion part of sampling some of the bounty of the season and giving thanks, I mean, that can be such a powerful part of a large community celebration. But it is good to really know your audience and really to be prepared to accommodate people from a variety of different dietary preferences and needs. I'm wondering if there's um, anyone that's called in or um, anyone has something about a ritual planning technique that they've used, or some other comments about ritual design. Or from Ivy? Yeah, there's a question from Ivy. 
um, about the differences between formal and informal informal rituals. Yeah, next week I'm going to be talking about spontaneous rituals. They're about as informal as you get. So you can do a spontaneous formal ritual if you have a form that you're really used to. A, a formal ritual tends to be more on the, um, I guess, the spectrum from a theatrical performance, for one, where there are written out parts and it's very scripted. It doesn't have to be completely scripted, but there's really clear instructions in a formal ritual design in which you not only are saying who says what and when the music comes in and when pauses come in, but there will be other things, just like if you were to look at um, the transcript of a play, holding hands up, moving from one place to another, they'll be um, written into the design how movement happens, how sound happens, and who speaks what when. An informal ritual may have some formal components. There will be something that the group might say together. We have joined here together as a circle of support. And, you know, so a group might say that every time it meets, but it might have a much more casual style. It, it may have certain parts of the ritual that are done, but in terms of flowing from one part to another, there may be different people, each as the spirit moves them, moving the ritual into its next direction. So a more informal ritual tends to have a lot more spontaneous dimensions to it. There may be a basic framework for what happens, but there is a lot of go-with-the-flow that's built within the structure. Another difference between formal and informal ceremonies is that typically with a formal ceremony, there is some form of ritual garb and there are ritual gestures and ritual implements some informal ceremonies do not have any particular dress code and one might be using one's hands to cast a circle for example rather than um, a ritual blade or some other ceremonial item that um, is used in more formal circle castings. So that's well, a good question. Yeah, and that's a good point, too. You just mentioned that. just brought up a, a thought. Uh, when you mentioned using a ritual blade, is that sometimes it's appropriate. <clears throat> sometimes using a bladed item for ritual is not, an, is not appropriate, depending on your surroundings, too. So that's sort of in the planning of where you're going to be holding the ritual and the environment and who's around and where it is and whether or not you know, casting a circle with a sword or an, or, you know, or working with an athame um, is is really a prudent thing. Like if you're in a public park, someplace where you're doing a public ritual, where there might be rules about, and, and there might be some sensitivity about, you know, bladed things being used. You know, like at the national park or something in D.C. or somewhere, you know, where you might using a right. pulling out a sword and walking around a circle with a three foot sword. Uh, might get the wrong attention. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> you know or maybe I mean? at uh, like one of those big conference centers where all those indoor conferences happen in the winter time. Yeah. Eh, well, you might not have room for a big giant sword as well. Um, in one of those little tiny conference rooms that you know we've all seen. Um, yeah. Uh, you know. One of the things that I was reminded of when I was listening to this was uh, what things David and I have developed over the years as part of our, I guess you could say, our calling card that we're kind of known for when we lead public rituals around here is this way. And 
you can't necessarily do it in a group of like 100 people. We've done it in groups as, as large as maybe, what, 70 people or so, where to cast, we cast the circle like two or three times, but one of the circle castings is where we do, uh, we, David usually starts off, and he says why we're do how we're doing it and why we're doing it, and uh, it's hand to hand to hand the circle is cast where you uh, you call out your name and then the person says hand to hand the circle is cast and that's how we cast the circle and we've done that for like I don't know six or seven years in just about every public ritual we've ever met ever done you know pagan pride days or small sabbaths or whatever. And it's become a really good way we have found of uh, bringing in a, a, a sense of intimacy and hominess with that sort of thing. And, you know, it's one of the things that you you lose a little bit of that when you have these really large rituals that we've participated at, like at PSG, but then there's a different kind of, huge energy flow dynamic that does occur uh, in these large rituals, like the big, you know, the big culminating summer solstice main ritual at PSG that has like 200 people. Um, so, you know, that becomes important to think about what what you lose, um, what you lose in the larger in the larger group ritual settings mm-hmm. that you can kind of take up the slack for in terms of bringing people together, yeah. you know? And um, somebody else also mentions here, too, that they they open, that they cast the circle with hugs. They pass a hug, pass hugs to cast the oh, circle. Oh, I like that. That would be neat. Yeah, that's a wonderful, a wonderful contribution. Another thing that some groups will do is to have a cord that's passed around. It, you know, it, this is for um, a group that might be meeting every week or at least once a month, and it's pretty standard size. And they may literally cast the circle by having a very large cord that they then set down around them, and it actually forms a circle for them. Now, of course, there are some pagan traditions which really work more with a temple space rather than a sacred circle. And there are um, things that are connected with circle casting that can be adapted for a more rectangular space. Some groups that um, may meet in uh, a specific geometric design different from a square or rectangle or a circle. Um, I was with a group that had a six-pointed star as a template for our ceremonial gatherings. And each person was on a point of the star. And part of our way of being able to gather was coming to our particular place in the ritual site. And it was something that was unique to that particular group and it was really powerful. So there are a lot of really creative ways of designing ritual and designing ritual of different sizes. One of the things that I will be doing this summer at the Pagan Spirit Gathering, also known as PSG, um, which will be June 16th through 23rd and near Chicago at a place called Stonehouse Farm. It's a place we've been for the last two years. Um, I'll have a Pagan Leadership Institute intensive, and it will be on ritual leadership. And one of the things that I'm going to be doing in this latest version of this ritual class um, that I have taught over the years is to really um, talk about choosing techniques for the size of the group and how to um, shift your techniques halfway through when the group gets bigger, <laughs> and which, uh, which uh, sometimes can happen as people are gathering for a passage rite, for example, and how to adapt a ritual in process 
if the design that you originally had set up for it needs some changing. And I do think that part of ritual leadership skills is being able to see oneself as the servant for those taking part in the ceremony, the facilitator there to serve and to help bring the group into community with each other and the sacred, with the site and the purpose of the ceremony, and to be in touch with that group spirit to the point of being able to know when to add things and change things, you know, as a ritual comes to be. Well, I see we have only a few moments left. Any um, closing thoughts or comments before we do our ending? Uh, well, we got all fixated on the, the hugging pagans thing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> on the chat there. Um. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and including others in calling quarters and that kind of stuff and how you do that, whether you give people a pre-scripted script or have them call it as they are, would be inspired and, and stuff with some discussion about that as to, you know, participation of that you that you bring people into and, and how it's really nice to to have other people involved because if people really because that really brings it together more as a community that way when you right. have people involved. Yep. Yes, even, and I I think a, 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 the yeah. quick answer since we only have a few moments to that is that it really does depend on the experience of people that are converging for the ceremony. Um, most people who don't have a lot of experience with ritual but may want to have a part in the ritual could be helped by having at least a sample of an invocation to call. And in terms of rituals that I've organized in which there are different people doing the parts, a lot depends on how formal the ritual is. And if there are particular invocations for the quarters that all fit together with a theme, then it's good to get those parts out to people ahead of time so they can familiarize themselves with it, uh, possibly even memorize them. And if one really wants the backup, the file card, the 3 by 5 file card is a really handy device where you can write your part out and um, hold it in your hand and hold your hand up and and rather than having to carry big papers around, can help theatrically with the flow of the ritual that way. Have a cheat sheet, yes. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> well, thank you, David and Jeanette. Thanks to everybody in the chat room who have who's joined us. And in closing, I invite those of you who are listening to join us again next week for Circle Craft Study with Selena Fox and to tune in to the show that follows, Pagan Priest, and tomorrow night, Circle Sanctuary's other weekly Internet radio show, Pagan Warrior Radio, will be on, and we're going to be celebrating pagan military service. And... In closing, let's take a few moments now, reflect on ritual, ritual design, and our connection with each other and with the sacred. We give thanks to the north and earth, the air and east, the fire, south, the water and west, the cosmos above the planet and land beneath, the spirit within, around, and at center. Divine is one and divine is many. Continue to be with us and guide us in our ways of ritual, in our spiritual lives, in our connection with each other and the greater circle of nature of which we are all part. May we all go in peace and be well. So mote it be.
sunrise on the shore to stay my crying greets the Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connecting the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash CSN podcast.
podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, many blessings.